King, Queen, Jesus Christ, Nutella, Metallica. What do these things have in common? Well, they've all been banned as baby names in one place or another, according to usbirthcertificates.com. It says the first three have been banned here in the U.S., while Nutella was vetoed in France and Metallica is off the table in Sweden. Ah, but it doesn't stop there. Just last month, a woman in Australia had to change her baby's name when she realized Commodore was a no-go because military titles aren't allowed in that country. Now, she was able to sneak it in as a middle name, according to the New York Post. Her baby is called Holden Commodore Hayes, which is interesting because the Holden Commodore is a popular car in Australia. Now, all of this does raise some interesting questions, though. Why do some of these names become so popular and then just disappear? We spoke with sociology professor Michelle Napierski-Prancel of Russell Sage College because she's researched this. As a sociologist, I've been interested kind of in the cultural influences on our names and on a parent, right? Recognizing the role that you play when you name your child. I'm Mike Rogers, and this is Something Offbeat, the podcast where we uncover more about some of the strangest headlines we can find. If names are one of those things that you, hardly a day goes by around our house where either me or my wife, you know, we, we hear a name and we go, what, what kind of name is that? You know, I mean, do you even as an expert, sometimes are you just floored by some of the names that parents give their children? I find it interesting for sure. And and I also find, because uh, you're talking about you and your wife and the names you hear, and I don't know if you had this, had siblings growing up, but your parents would often call you the wrong name <laughs> growing up, or they would get through the list of four names before they got to yours. And and, and that always, you know, I, I never got that till I have children. And now I do the same exact thing. I go through the list of of my children's names until, until I get to the right one, which is kind of- I do it all the time. I still do it to this day. My daughter's I, I get their names mixed up and it, it infuriates them, makes them so mad. <laughs> After does. all these years, don't you know who I am? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and so when you do hear, you know, interesting or unique names, you do think about that because as a sociologist, one of the things we look at is the, the presentation of self, how we present ourselves to others. And you have no control as a child over your name, right? Uh, here's a text about odd baby names. This texter says, my cousin Everett has two kids, Eve and Rhett. Get it? Everett. And so you will have this name bestowed upon you that you will then always really be identified with unless you then change it or go by a, a nickname or, or something like that, which is common too. My own mother was um, Mary in a family of a lot of Marys. And so she decided to go by her middle name. And, and she was Patricia. And she took that on herself to change her name. Bruce Lansky has written several books about names. He estimates that every year, close to 50,000 people actually change the names they were given at birth. That's what he told the Chicago Tribune back in 2017. But why? Well, some people do it because of marriage, others for gender identity, or simply because they're sick of the name their parents saddled them with. 
Some people have to do that. You wonder what some parents are thinking. Really? You named your kid Doug Douglas or, you know, or you named your kid Charles Manson. Really? I mean, what were you thinking? Right. right. And and sometimes it's kind of funny because the name might not be popular till after that name has come along, right? You might have a common, uh, a not so common name. One of my son's friends name is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and so that was not intentional. <laughs> Just the timing. <laughs> is a lot of it generational? I mean, you know, as we get older, do we look at names that uh, parents are naming their kids now and think that's a dumb name? Yeah, I think there's certainly back in my day, (laughs) back in my day examples with naming and, you know, cohort effects. We see trends, right? We see different trends of what names are popular. I'm a Michelle of many Michelles of my generation, but there's not a lot of young children named Michelle right now. And so there's kind of this cohort, I think, effect, generational effect of trendier names. Over the past decade, the name Michelle ranked around 185 on the Social Security Administration's list of the most popular baby names. It was pretty low on the list in the 1950s, but shot up to number four by the 70s, then dropping again, although still ranking one spot ahead of Sophia, which was the sixth most popular girl's name in the country last year. Whew, it's hard to keep up sometimes. You weren't named after the Beatles song, Michelle, my bell. I suspect that I was, that I was in some way. You know, I never really had that conversation with my mom to find out, but I was born about five or six years after the song was quite popular. And so I grew up with a lot of other, a lot of other Michelles. What's interesting about the name Michelle It did come about in popularity after the Beatles song was, you know, winning Grammys and and, and that kind of thing. So I mentioned the Beatles in Michelle. That's kind of a a specialty of yours. What is your research and what have you found out over the years about music inspired names? So I always had that kind of history with my own name. And then I'm also a, a college professor and not to date myself, but I started teaching around 2000 and my college that I'm at is a small college. And just recently we went co-ed, but we had been primarily a, a women's college. So I had lots of young women in my class. And so in the early 2000s, I know this is anecdotal, but I started to notice I had a lot of Alexis and crystals in my class. And I didn't really know a lot of Alexis and crystals in my non-teaching life. So I started to think, you know, it's kind of an interesting pattern that these names keep showing up on my roster. And then it just hit me one day as I was driving home. Wait a minute. 18, 19 years ago, Dynasty was quite popular, an evening um, soap opera on television. I remember my mother watching it religiously. And two of the glamorous characters on that show were Crystal and Alexis. And so I thought there has to be a connection, but I get involved and keep teaching and doing my other research. 10, 12 years later, I start noticing I have quite a few Rachels and Monica's in my class. And sure enough, that corresponded to Friends premiering about 18 years before then. There's an endless supply of names through pop culture, aren't there? 
Absolutely. So I went back to my own name and went back to music. And I said, here's something I can at least be a little more concrete with. And so I looked at the Billboard Hot 100 list, which the music industry kind of uses as a standard for measuring popularity of songs. And so I started there. I thought that would be a kind of a concrete way to to look at names. And I picked a a 20 year time period between 1965 and 1985. And there were a lot of songs between that time period that had female names in it from Help Me Rhonda to Osheila. One other example she found of songs connected to name popularity was the boost Rosanna got after Toto's 1982 hit. Have you ever encountered any situations over the years where parents name their children something that's against the law? I haven't seen that for sure um, in real life. And it doesn't, from what my look into that question is that the U.S. doesn't have a whole lot of laws banning names. And I think courts have said that, you know, parents have a, you know, a right to name them what they want, but state by state might have you know, rules about what might seem offensive or inappropriate kinds of names. And I think the one that seems most popular is what happened in California with Elon Musk and using a number, right? And I think you can't use a number in in a name. And I think that's probably even has more to do with uh, computer records and and record keeping is probably where that rule may have come out of. Um, And so what they did was use Roman numerals, right? And so I think they have XII instead of a 12 in their, their son's name. But I think as a sociologist, is what, what is interesting is that we might not necessarily need laws to regulate baby names because I think that kind of happens more organically. However, some parents do go for names that are definitely, well, offbeat. This has got to be the all-time winner. This is the, exactly the kind of text I wanted. Baby name, friend is a teacher in Lafayette, and the student's name was, are you ready for it? Nosmo King. She saw the no smoking sign in the hospital (laughs) while in delivery. Are there sociological implications to these unusual names for the people who have them? Do some of them go through life just embarrassed by their name? Yes, I think there's a couple of different theories that look about the presentation of self, right, and how we present ourselves. There's some theories that look at the importance of symbols, and obviously a name is a, is very symbolic of us. And so one theory looks at society as being a, a social mirror, a looking glass type of thing, and so that many of us will develop a sense of self, a sense of identity, based on the reflection we get from society. So if you present yourself, one of the first things you do when you meet somebody is you you tell them their name, you tell somebody your name. And so if you get a bad response, if people cringe, if people make kind of an ugly face when they hear your name, that's going to wear on us, right? On our sense of who we are, sense of our, our identity. So, so much of our interaction, right? Is that this micro level, just meeting people. These trendy names, they come and they go, but there are other names that are fairly stable over time. They're always going to be near the top of the list, right? What makes those so much more long lasting, enduring? Think of my name, Michael. Now there's a good solid name. That's got to be at the top of the list for a hundred years now. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself here to say that we did look into it, and although it's out of the top ten currently, Michael 
has been the most popular boy's name in the U.S. 44 times over the past century. It's more than any other name. Gee, that's what you call a timeless classic. Well, it's kind of interesting because if you look at the Social Security Administration's database, they've been keeping data on the top 1,000 names since 1880. And for the first 80 years, Mary was number one. And so I think there's a social turning point around the 60s where we started to look for other influences on our names besides family, besides religious traditions and things like that. And so I think we're still kind of in that period of, of finding new trends and finding new names. And I think it becomes cyclical. So names like Emma and Emily are quite popular now. But when I was young, that would have been considered maybe a grandmother name, right? It would have been an older name. And so we're seeing kind of these cyclical, what old is new again. Some names have been around for, for a long time and have been quite popular, but other social influences will change the name. For instance, Karen, right? Karen was quite popular in the 60s. I think it, it hit the top three in you know the mid-60s. Um, and that has just had a long lasting, there's always been a lot of Karens. But I think right now, Karen is probably decreasing in popularity because of the negative connotations associated with that name right now. It's gotten so bad that I'm not ever asking for the manager again, ever. The other day I ordered a sandwich and I got a taco and I ate it and I'm still hungry, but better that than be called a Karen. So you see, there might be something totally inexplicable that comes into play. Katrina was quite popular until Hurricane Katrina hit and then it dropped enormously in terms of popularity. You know, this is going to come as a shock to you, but I've been doing some genealogical research lately. And I, it turns out I have a great grandmother whose name was Brunetta. And that is actually not on the top of any list right now. Never has been. I'm stunned. Yeah. I mean, it's such a lovely name. You know, you raise a really interesting point because I was thinking about that just myself, you know, when I found out that you might want to talk to me is that I'm really curious to see if all of the people going on Ancestry.com and digging into kind of their ancestors might start to pull up some older names and, and start reusing those names because they find this new connection to a family member, a brunetta, you know, that they think is, you know, quite unique or special to their family. So I'm quite curious to see if there was a relationship to all of the kind of historical ancestor research that people are doing. Do you have your own name experience that you want to share? How about your own offbeat news idea in general? Well, send it to us at somethingoffbeat at odyssey. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y dot com. And thanks for listening to Something Offbeat. This episode written and produced by Lauren Berry and Chris Blake. Audio editing by Chris Blake. Original music by Myron Kaplan. And editorial support from Cooper Mall. I'm your host, Mike Rogers. Special thanks to WWL's The Scoot Show and the Your Weirdest Fears podcast from 1010 Wins. Now to hear more of our deep dives into unusual news, please subscribe to Something Off Meat on the Odyssey app or Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>